Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shear, and we mean weekly. Once again, it's the Nishmas Nachmiyakiv ben Tzvihirsh. Shleishim was yesterday. Um, this Shabbos, it's Pasha's Re'ei, once again a Shabbos, another one of the Shabbos of Shiva the Nechemta, of the seven weeks of condolence, Nachmu was Eschanan, Akev is the second, and the A is the third. And three, number three, is Tlas Hava Chazake. Three makes a Chazake, and therefore, since the third of the Nechamas, it's a Russian of Chazake, and therefore, it's a Chazake on Nechama. And may Klai Yitzel be condoled, and all the condolences that are needed. And we should merit to see the, sheikh, the kids of Ran Sheikh Neofar. And we should be together once again with Chiyas HaMesim as we're going to discuss in this year a difference of the Neshama Beguf and the Neshama without the Guf. Um, actually, it's, it's practically a Bachlekis. It doesn't fit to actually say Bachlekis between the Altareb and the Rambam. when it makes reference to the Aveda of the Neshama on this world. And the Aveda that will be in Elam Haba. Another form we begin to in the beginning of the parsha, where the pasuk says, "We're commanded to destroy the altars, demolish the altars of the idol worshippers," and that's a mitzvah hasei. And then a mitzvah leisasei leisasin kain l'ashem alikechem. But to the Abish, you should not do that. Do we have to be told not to break, not to destroy the tabernacle, not to destroy the altar? There's one instance, however, 
that you're allowed to destroy an altar. When is demolition permissible? If it's done in order to improve. If you're breaking down something in order to improve the, improve the base of English, you're allowed to do it. And the Ramam says, he emphasizes, a person is liable causing damage to the Beis HaMikdash only if he does so with the destruct- destructive intent. But if he's doing it to enhance the structure itself, that you're allowed to do. Put on the Kesef Mishnah, Taz, Erechayim. We know, of course, as Magid Varav Liyakev, Chukov Mishpatav Liyisrael. The Ebesha says his words, his rules, his ordinances to Israel. The message learns from that that God instructs the Jewish people something that he himself does. This is also brought down in the Maimah of a Mitzvah boy. Which means to say that the Almighty observes these mitzvahs as if it were his commandments. There comes a question. And how could the Abish allow the Beis Hamidrash to be destroyed? Where was he? Why was he not watching out for this? And not only that, he sent agents to carry out his mission. This is violating, clearly, the mitzvah, the leisaseh, of leisaseh and keilash amalekechem. But the, the truth is though, that Hashem sent these agents to destroy the first and second Mesamidash with a justifiable halachic reasoning. But considering that the construction was conditional, conditional that the third Mesamidash would be constructed, and therefore is not with a destructive intent that the Shechat shall not be any place to bring carbonous sacrifices, etc., but rather, for the sake of upgrading, improving the base of English itself. And the first and second base of English were actually only temporary structures. And they were built by man. The third will be an internal edifice built by God Himself. So the halachic standard of, the, of not demolishing Batimigdash. This was not an act of destruction, but rather it was It was actually in order to improve, in order to make better, in order to bring us to a higher level. So that we ultimately have the third Besamidus, which we should see today. And we discussed this in the three weeks as well, that there's no question as to what point the Kahana will have to start doing their Aveda, Kahana will have, need to be ready immediately because the Beis Hamidrash will be built and ready, ready for service. It's a little bit of a strange expression to use. The A, the C, I will give you today. 
Rather, it should be Tamu, look, see, feel. Where does it come to say the A, see? Where does vision come in when it comes to mitzvahs and teda? And we know Bifrat, that people have never saw, never, no person has ever seen the face of God and survived. There was a fellow, a nice Israeli citizen, nice Jew, what is going on here, who had a very, very, very beautiful lineage. His lineage that he stemmed from The last name like Alkavets. Alkavets. He was a descendant from none other than Rishlema Alkavets of over 400 years ago who is accredited with writing the liturgy known as the poem known as the Chadaydi sung on Friday nights in every shul. Well, unfortunately, some generations end up facing and finding themselves in different situations and they don't ultimately follow in the foots of their forefathers and ancestors. And unfortunately for our friend, Whatever generations he had gone through, whatever, wherever he had lived, whatever education he had had, it was extremely secular in spite of the fact that he was in Israel, in the Holy Land of Eretz Yisrael, Akdesha, Atzin Akdesha, Mehedet Yibane. And he lived a very, very, very secular life, Rahman al But he lived a very good life, very prosperous life he was working in the bank and he was doing very very well for himself the day came and he was offered a tremendous opportunity just one cup tremendous opportunity was given the bank offered him to go to New York City and to try to put their branch there back on its feet. Branch was suffering, and he was sent to put it back on its feet. He was offered the world. You could stay there, you could move there, do whatever you'd like. Just set us back on our feet. Take your family we'll give you housing, we'll take everything you need. And needless to say, thank you very much. And needless to say, of course, salary would be a, a very, very greater one.
He was very, very excited. His wife was even more excited. And his wife said, Go, Fagzuntait, Salah Shalom, Shalom. I'll meet you there. Maybe I'll come, maybe I won't. Eventually, if you're setting, settling there, we'll come. Well, he was a very, very successful fellow. And within a month, he had the bank back on its feet. And it was starting to turn a major profit again. And the second month went by, and the second month, he had things booming. It was really doing what it had to do. And the only thing that wasn't doing what it had to do was his emotions. He was not prepared or interested in staying in New York. So he said, told his bank managers, Yachachu, I want to go back home to Israel. Nope, I can argue with him. He did what he had to. So he was allowed to move back to Israel. Came back to Israel, but before he was going back to Israel, many of the Olim, many of the people that Israelis that were here for a while and made it, as we say, used the opportunity at that point before they went back to buy all their electronic equipment. They even shipped things. It was worth it. The price difference at the time was very, very, very vast. And so, he, no different than anyone else, went to the embassy to find out, actually, where is it really worth going? Because the fact is, he had to know who's going to cut the corners, who's going to be able to give him for how the tax was, and everything, everything, everything the, the, all the requirements. And you needed to buy different voltage, you needed to know where to go to get a different voltage, you can buy American and Israel not the same voltage. Kitzer, ironically enough, he was sent to Crown Heights. Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Apparently there, at the time, there was the big knockers. And he came to Crown Heights, and he came into this store, and it was quite impressive. And the prices were ex- exceedingly better than he expected them to be even. And that cave, and he's buying for his house, and buying for himself, and buying for his friends and family, and everything else that he has to buy, the gifts, everything, at cave ein cult of seller. His one thing that was distir- not disturbing him was catching his eye everywhere in the store. So wherever he turned, there was this picture of a rabbi. And he's seen this rabbi in the papers in Israel. But I had no idea who this is. So he turned to the salesman and he says to him, Tell me, uh, Misa, who is this? He said, This is the Lubavitch Rebbe. What's so special about him? Pictures all over the place. And the Chassid started to give him a little bit of a insight of the Rebbe. And told him, actually, if you really want, you can go see him. I could see him where, when. 
So you walk out of the store, you make a right, and you go up a few blocks, and there you'll find the shul. And he comes, and he's in the shul right now. The fellow walks up brazenly and comes to the shul. And immediately, of course, people must have found him, seen him, a little bit of an outcast, probably wasn't wearing a kippah. And they slapped the kippah on his head. And the Bachim entertained. They immediately fell into place, talking to him, greeting him, welcoming him. Very interesting. And he asked about the Rebbe. They told him, it's ten after three. We're about to start singing here. Now, it's ten after three, the Rebbe comes in from Mincha now. Stand here in the foyer, under the magnet, and when the Rebbe walks past you, you'll see the Rebbe. The Rebbe's going to go out of this room into this door. No. How much more exciting can this get? <laughs> to see this person by my own eyes. They gave him a siddha to look through. He was looking at the siddha. All of a sudden, the door opened up. Everything became quiet. The Rebbe came out of his holy office. And this man standing there was mesmerized. He got transformed to another world. Partially, he saw majesty, wisdom, power, blessing, everything in one. And he decided right then and there he wants to give this, this this he didn't know how to put it. He sees a physical human being, but the majestic look on the Rebbe at Mazidan took him took every bone and out of his body. He wanted to give him something, he wanted to give something of, of tremendous value that he had. And the first thing that came to his mind is a Megillah that he had from his ancestor. Shleim Alkovitz. 400 year old Megillah. And the Rebbe went into Mincha. And it happened to be that this fellow had the, the Megillah with him because he went nowhere without it. It was very dear to him. So he asked, How do I do this? They told him, Here, this is Rabbi Groner. Secretary, go tell them what you want to do. See, told her by Groner, by Groner wrote it down and sent him write it down in a letter. He wrote to the Rebbe that I just want to give you this Megillah as a gift. Four hundred years old, for my great Zayda, Shem Alkovitz. And uh, by Groner said, you know what? Give me your number in your hotel. Give me your number in Israel. It could take a week, two, three. So the Rebbe answers you. Before he could finish writing the phone numbers down, there was an answer. And not just an answer. The Rebbe wrote, uh, thank you, but for three reasons I cannot accept it. First of all, Sayyidina Matanis Yechia, someone who 
does not like gifts lives longer. And he, the Rebbe says, therefore I'm rejecting a gift, quote unquote. Secondly, says the Rebbe, a person does not give away an inheritance. You have this as an inheritance, and therefore I will not take it away from you. And thirdly, says the Rebbe, it's good enough for me to get a photocopy, to be so kind, to make a copy of it, photocopy, I'd be very, very happy to have that. So, imagine the shock, even by the secretary, that the Rebbe answered so quickly and so completely about this wonderful, wonderful gift. And this took him even further, even deeper, even gave gave him even more, greater reverence of the Rebbe. He immediately went back to his hotel and a day or so later came back to the library, the Rebbe's library, where they were able to make copies of the entire Megillah and he left copies for the Rebbe. There was still a few weeks left in New York until he finalized and tied up all the loose ends. And lo and behold, sitting in his hotel room one day, he gets a knock on the door. He opens the door, very straight up, no more, no less, his wife. Surprise! Took off a week from her job, got permission from his bank and decided to join him for the remaining few weeks weeks, whatever it was that he'd be in New York and they go touring together in New York beautiful idea but she's talking to her husband and she sees something's wrong or something's different actually It it was actually something's right, not wrong he's a very very different person, he's not talking something and he keeps talking about the Rebbe, the Rebbe, the Rebbe, the Rebbe. Where? Who's the Rebbe? What's the Rebbe? What's going on over here? She tried to change the subject. She tried Finally, she says, you know what? You're right. What are you doing? Huh? Looking for what? Which? Give me. What do you mean? Huh? That you sent me. Where did I say that? Anyway, he. Oh boy, he froze the thing. Uh, he. The wife says, you know what? You're right. I can't pass judgment here. Let me see for myself. I'm talking to you about this thing. Let me see for myself who the Rebbe is. And then, we'll form an opinion together. Not coming? Huh? And I said, okay. And they're going to start their tour of New York in 770. The next day, 
he calls up Rabbi Groner, and he and his wife are standing in the foyer where the Rebbe goes in and out. And the Rebbe came out of Mincha or Mairev, whatever it was, and the women were standing on one side and the men on the other side. And this wife of his, Mr. Alkovich's wife, as the Rebbe walks by, bursts out crying. Hysterical. And the husband, hearing his wife crying, all started to cry. And the Rebbe stopped. He looked at both of them, crying like babies. Then he looked at the secretary of a groaner. He shrugged his shoulders in wonder. Right, Groner explained that this is Mr. Alkovich, this is his wife, he's the manager of the bank, and he's the one who wanted to give the Rebbe the Megillah. The Rebbe looked at them, smiled, he nodded slightly, and he told them, Basilis Tevis, and continued on to his room. When they walked out, he asked his wife, he says, well, what, what happened there? What was going on? You're such, you have no connection with religion, you don't even like rabbis. What gate, what caused that? She says, I don't know. But a look at the Rebbe made me feel like someone that saw their father for the first time in 30 years. It welled up such emotion in me. A few minutes later, they got into the taxi going home. And they both decided, I don't know what happened over here. And they talked it through, and they both came to the realization what Teda is all about, and they both decided to unitedly change their lifestyle to a Yiddish lifestyle. And they undertook a few things, Kashas. Shabbos, Yamsif, there's a whole new world for them. From where? From the Re'ei. From the Re'ei Anechi. See the looking. The look of the Rebbe. The seeing the Rebbe. This caused an entire change in their lives. The A see that I am giving to you. And this vista, this seeing penetrated, permeated their entire essence, their entire Matthias to an extent that their entire lifestyle changed. Amongst the many mitzvahs, Pashas A, we have the Yomim Tevim, the mention of the holidays, the Torah says, V'somachto b'chagecha, also, 
You shall rejoice in your festival. The Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, says in Shulchan Aruch, Erechaim, Tov Kuv Chavtes, the Alter Rebbe describes the obligation, what is Simchas Yom Tov all about? The rejoicing of Yom Tov. And the Rebbe says, for all seven days of Pesach, eight nights of Sukkot, thank you, the holiday of Shavuos, a person is obligated to be happy, in good spirits, he, his children, his wife, the members of his household, and all those that depend on him. And this rejoicing is a mitzvah assay, says the Alter Rebbe. It's a positive commandment in the Torah. It says, How are they supposed to rejoice? The children want to give roasted kernels and nuts. But women want to buy clothing and jewelry. Each according to his means, men in the time of the Beis Hamikdash, time of the Holy Temple, would eat the meat from the carbon shlamim offering. Today's day and age, unfortunately, it's only by drinking wine. This says the Altadeva. Physical consumption of wine clothing, whatever it might be. So the wording of the Alter Rebbe says it's a physical joy. And one needs to genuinely fulfill the mitzvah through a simcha. And he notes only the ideal joy for men was not brought about by drinking wine or eating ordinary meat, sacrificial meat. On the other hand, the Rambam. who was several hundred years before the Alter Rebbe, takes it differently. The Ramam writes, excuse me, when it comes to regards to the joy obligated on the holidays, a joy needs to be a ruchniyastik, not gashmias, but spiritual joy. The joy of offering, eating the shlomim, the carbon shlomim, needs to be a spiritual joy that is enjoying eating a sacrifice. 
physical joy. Ramam says it's secondary. So the Rambam, Hilkas Visus Yamtiv, says that even though the rejoicing refers to the carbon shlamim, the sacrifice, included in this joy, make himself, his children, and members of his household joyous, each one accordingly, how? Children one gives such, etc., etc. This debate mirrors a debate surrounding the rewards that are promised in the world to come. What is the delight in the divine revelation? The Ramam writes in Hilchas Tshuva, in the world to come, there's no body, there's no physical form, only Nishamas. And only the Nishamas, only the souls of the righteous. But there's no bodies, no physical body. The Altadeba, however, writes, since observing a mitzvah is intended to refine and elevate our physical body, so the reward in the world to come is likewise the same experience. The soul can only truly enjoy the reward when it's enclosed in a body. So the Altarab therefore holds similarly regarding to Yom Tif, that the body and the soul need to do the mitzvah together. It's not shot that one can do the mitzvah without the other. As we said, there are many, many different mitzvahs mentioned in this parsha, and um, there's many different things I like to get to. We told to discuss the Shabbos, being Rishchidish El. Shabbos is Aleph the Rishchidish, and we'll be taking out another Sefer Torah. In the first Sefer Torah, seven Elias parshas are A until the end. The second Sefer Torah will be read Parshas Rishchidish. Maftir, Haftir, excuse me, will be for Shabbos Rishchidish. And then, according to Minik Chabad, we add two Psukim from Haftir of Machachidish. Because Sunday is a Shredish as well. And therefore, we mention also the Hafter of Machachedish. But the main Hafter is a Shredish. And although 
This is the third Shabbos of the Shiva Zerachemta, as you mentioned before. There are more than just hints, subtle hints, mentioned in the Aftera of Shabbos Rishkedish, also of concepts of Nechama, and therefore this substitutes the actual Haftera of Nechemta of the Shabbos. One such mitzvah, Misas Nitvach Nidvas Yedecha Ashatitin, towards the end of the Pasha, chapter 16, verse 10 and 7 through 17, talks about the mitzvah Tzedakah, Ish Kemat Nasyadik Vechas Shamalikacha. According to the generosity which you will give, Each man according to his ability to gift. And this is consistent the brachas, the blessings of the Abishta. The Tari gives us here two different instructions when it comes to charity, tzedakah. One, person just gives out a sense of generosity. And the other, according to how much he can actually give. According to his ability. These two types of giving, either generosity according to the ability, reflect on two different types of people. Two different approaches. One, rightfully, have towards charity, a person's attitude towards charity, reflecting, of course, on the financial means of the person. First, the Taylor tells us about a person who's not particularly wealthy. And he can easily justify the fact that he doesn't give charity because. He needs it for himself, or for his children, for his family, for his household. In this case, says the tailor, if this fellow, who can find a zillion different excuses, shall we say, why charity starts at home, and yet he gives charity to others, this, the tailor, appeals to his generosity. And tells him to be benevolent, generous, even beyond what's expected of him, demanded of him. Then you have the instruction 
Give according to your ability. Give according to how much you can give. What your financial status is. But the Torah demands a step beyond generosity. What does this mean? The Torah is referring to the person who is affluent. That very wealthy person who is aware that God has blessed him with surplus. Well beyond what he needs. Now he too recognizes that God provides sustenance to everyone. Some have a good fortune of earning it on their own and some have to come on to the other people. Therefore he understands that God appointed him as a custodian He's a custodian over the funds and the funds are intended for others also. And all the money is God's. The fact that he's sitting on this abundance of money by Hashem God wants to make sure he fulfills the master plan. And therefore it's logical that he has to give charity. It makes sense. I have a lot. He doesn't. I have to give. In this case, the tailor does not need to tell the person a demand. Be generous. The person knows the money has to go to tzedakah. He doesn't regard it as his own money. He regards it as God's leaving it by him as a pecotin. But the tailor still addresses this with cordiality. He should not give half-heartedly, but according to his ability to gift, with warmth, enthusiasm, when a person has a lot of money, they're supposed to enjoy it. They're supposed to be happy with it. And if they're happy with it, they're happy to see somebody else have as well. When a person, Rahman al heaven forbid is a miser and he can't find anyone else to live it's so hard for him to part with a penny when he gives a penny he doesn't give it wholeheartedly and therefore the tailor tells us in these two different types and the tailor teaches us that one type of tzedakah will lead to the other. If you give generously to charity, even when you don't have, 
then you'll be blessed to be in a position that you'll no longer require the command to be generous. Because you'll be able to give automatically. And God will bless you with prosperity. Such that your charitableness will be self-understood. Even more so, He will grant you a noble spirit of gifting to donate charity warmly and happily. And we can say at this point in time, as we go to Chedesh El for the new year, for leading up to Rosh Hashanah, it is a time for being open with charity and generous. There are many that need And I'm almost making an appeal for money that's needed to open yeshiva this year, for money that's needed to see to it that people have food for Yom Tif. It's not considered Moyoskitim like it is on Pesach, but it's still very dire. People need money for Shoshana Yom Kippur, for Sukkot, Erev Yom Kippur. Matzim Kippur. Turn the focus to a different mitzvah in this week's parasha. Before we go to talk about Rishchei Bishal. Rak Chazak Lebilt Rechilis Adam. Until this point in time, you could only eat meat if you entered the Bishamid and had a Karab Mishlam. Once the Eden went into Israel and their status changed and they were able to afford some, they were allowed to eat meat. But even if you're allowed to eat meat, says the Taylor, Rak Chazak, the Bilti Achel Saddam. Ki Adam, who are Nefesh. How strange the Taylor has to use such terminology. Not just don't eat blood. Chazak, strengthen yourself not to eat the blood. And Rashi says, Yes, Ben Chamesh Lemikra, yes, my child, you do have a right question. A very strong question. Why does one need to strengthen themselves not to eat blood? One should understand themselves. You don't need blood. You're not allowed to eat blood. And Rashi tells them in Chamesh the Mikra as follows. Chapter 12, verse 23. From this which the Torah tells us, a commandment, strengthen yourself. At the limit you learn, yeah, they used to eat blood. The Firoch, therefore, the Torah needs to tell us, strengthen yourself not to. Divrei Rabbi Yehuda, says Rashi. These are the words of Rabbi Yehuda. Divshim ben Azayimer, 
Shem Baraja has a different opinion why it says this. He says, Pasuk is only coming to warn us. to teach you. How much you must be devoted and strengthen yourself with every given mitzvah. Im Adam, if blood, shukal, which is a simple thing to not to refrain from, because ill, as you would say, who eats blood? And the Torah tells you chazak. You have no, no loss for it. The Torah needs to strengthen you with its warning. So much more so other mitzvahs that a person might sin by. How much more they have to be careful. So we find here the Maklik is going to be Yeshua, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Shem Why does it say the word Chazak? Rabbi Yehuda says Chizuk is warning you about the blood because they used to eat blood and therefore needs to be strengthened about it. Shem Benazai? No. The main thing is to strengthen yourself by all other mitzvahs. And the Tate is giving us a kalvachema, a weaker and a stronger point, which is the weaker point, the simple point of dam, which I have to refrain from, and I would anyway refrain from. I'm telling you to strengthen yourself to refrain from it. How much more so the point of something, a mitzvah, that you need to really work on yourself to refrain from it. We perhaps could say that each one of them goes according to their opinions and other things. We find, according to the Yehuda, when the Pasuk says, Leiseichel called Nevela, you may not eat any Nevela. Nevela is an animal that died on its own without being slaughtered. But Legera Shebesherecha Tutnena, you should give it to the convert. Ve'ochla, he should eat it. Or sell it to an anju. Pirish dvarim kichsavon. The words, the explanation is words the way they're written. Lager benesina lenachri b'mechira. If you're keeping score at home, the gemara b'sachim chafalaf of days. To the ger, you give it. And to the guy, you sell it. <laughs> I can butt in on the phone call. And since he holds, that is a way of explaining the psukim, the way they are written, here too, there's a place to explain. Pasuk comes to teach us on all the other mitzvahs. On the other hand, it's possible to explain that this comes to teach us on the blood itself. And he's explaining Tvarim Kiksavim. The Pasuk is coming to teach us about blood in its own. I'm going to cut out of your picture here. And therefore, Abiyudah says, you need to watch out. On the other hand, Benazai says, Shem Benazai says, 
Run for a good, simple mitzvah and run away from a sin. And therefore, here also he explains the Chazik Azharas Aveda Kala to warn you, to strengthen yourself about Aveda Kala, simple mitzvah, simple Aveda. Because it's easy to watch out from it. In order to learn, to teach us, we need to run away from all other sins and strengthen ourselves in the mitzvah kala until that we refrain from any kind of mitzvah, any kind of avera like that. And this, therefore, is a service, how we serve God. A lesson in how we serve God. Yehuda is from the Loshan Hapam Eida Hashem. This time I praise God. That's where he got the name. This teaches us on a person that his service to God is a way of praise. He doesn't understand, he doesn't have feeling. Doing the mitzvahs, he's made, he's confessing, he admits, not just praise, admit. And therefore his whole logic, he nullifies. And everything is just to serve God. We find a person like this has different pleasures that are not necessarily holy and he has to obliviate them. And he has to serve God. And this is what Rabbi Yehuda explains the Pasuk that it comes to warn you because Shtufim Bidam they were so used to it they ate Dam Behema and therefore it made their midas, their ways of behavior, their whole attributes, were animalistic, like animals. And therefore the dam is an nefesh. As we know, as we said before, hadam wa nefesh. When a person eats blood, the animal attaches itself. The nature and the nefesh of behemah attaches itself to the nefesh, to the soul of the person. And therefore, a Yehuda from Lashon Heido Bittel, self-nullification, he comes to teach us that a person needs to eliminate all these worldly pleasures and feelings and things that are not proper and to be nullify oneself before the Creator. But Ben Azai, on the other hand, his service was a different thing. It was in a form of kol, chevtzei, umgamosei, hoyalalis lamayla. His existence, his entire existence was to strive to rise higher and higher. And this is how he devoted himself to learning Taylor as well. <coughs> the quote, if you're checking, if you're following, if you keep a score at home, Yevamis Samach Gimel Amadez, Sechtas Yevamis 63, side 2, where he says, Navshei Chashkabatero. His soul is yearning for Teda. And this was his exact, uh, this was his approach. According to his approach, according to his opinion, Basak is not warning us on being refined of the Midas, it's warning us, Lashen Zayhar, Er, Light, how much we need to strengthen ourselves with Mitzvahs, and to achieve and ascertain and get to higher and higher levels. 
And therefore, it's the obligation of the person to strengthen themselves and to bring themselves the Maila Maila and to lighten in Nefesh Nairaliki. As I said before, we have about a minute and a half. Um, we spoke before about. Well, we have four minutes. Chaydish El. El is Anila Daidi Vidaidi Li. It's brought down in Shirim. The acronym for the word El. We know the Altarebbe tells us that the Chaydish El, we have Melech Basada. The king is in the field. And the king being in the field. Melech Basada Panim Tsechakis. And everyone can approach the king. The king does not have appointments at this point. The king is in the field. Everyone can approach the king with their requests, with their beseechments. And the king, in a very pleasant, smiling, happy way, answers and grants each and every one. And therefore, it's time to grab the horn by the grab the cow by the axe by the horns. And at this point in time, as we go into Chedesh El, we work on ourselves, we work on our tshuva, so that as we grow, as we get closer, Hashem accepts with an open hand, with a smiling face, so that we can get to the level of Rosh Hashanah is needed and we'll be, full, we'll be blessed with a good and a happy sweet year. Customs are the Dabar Hashem area is now recited according to the Mini Chabad, Shachas and Mincha by Shachas after Shishayim and by Mincha before Aleinu. Um... We start saying the three kapitlach on Aleph on the first day of Rishkedesh. The Tehillim is divided up. We say every day three kapitlach, and then at the end of Rosh Hashanah, there's more kapitlach that are added up until Yom Kippur. Before neither we finish the entire Tehillim. The sounding of the Shefer starts on Aleph. The Dabra Shamiri, by the way, is recited until Eshan Rabbah. We'll hear the Shefer on a daily basis. Maybe be Zecher to hear the Kaab Shefer, God Lo Heruseinu. And maybe we'll hear the blast of the Shefer Mashiach Sidkenu that will call and bring us all back from throughout the world, from every exile to Yishlai Mirakedish. And this very Shabbos, and it should be, as we said, the Chazaka, Shlisha, the Nechemta, Shabbat Shalom to all.